Welcome to the Midlife Mastery Podcast. I'm Peter Fritz, and this is a show about mastering the issues that we midlifers face, from basic money worries to not having enough time, right through to that dreaded midlife crisis. Sometimes we have guests on the show, and other times it's just me. But either way, my job here is to offer some practical, real-world advice, plus the occasional kick in the butt, all with the noble objective of helping you to master the best time of your life, your midlife. Welcome to episode 24 of the Midlife Mastery Podcast. Today I want to talk to you about something which is very close to my heart. Uh, It's about what it means to be a good dad. But first, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story about a particular man who was the antithesis of what it means to be a good dad. In fact, this guy was so bad that when he died, no one really cared, least of all his children. For most of his life, this small man thought of no one but himself. In his mind, he was a big man, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful. But to everyone who knew him, he was a callous and troubled man. The Russians had captured him during World War II, and they subjected him to cruel medical experiments in one of their concentration camps, which resulted in the loss of one hand. But it wasn't this trauma that turned him into a monster. According to accounts from relatives, he'd always been nasty, manipulative, and conniving. He began beating his son from a very young age as a means to amplify his confected authority. Belittlement and criticism also featured on a daily basis. Sometimes the abuse was even worse. Over many years, the boy learned to absorb that violence, and each time his body was met with fist and boot, he would shut down and in his mind he would go somewhere else, anywhere but there. This was how my dad experienced childhood in the 1940s. And after years of mental and physical abuse, he escaped to Australia where he met and married my mum, also a victim of parental violence at the hand of her mother. When my all-pa died, my dad refused to attend the funeral. But later, he flew the 16,000-kilometre journey just to piss on his grave. His father should have been his idol, but instead he denied him any trace of childhood. On reflection, I'm stunned that my parents managed to raise my sister and me with such love and affection. By all accounts, they should have been psychopaths. Today, as my daughters become women, I sometimes reflect on how my dad achieved what should be every father's dream, to be loved and respected as a good dad. My son Tommy will be seven in just a few weeks' time, and lately something curious has begun to happen. I'll be in the middle of a job, sometimes something rather complex, and then I'll feel a sudden twinge of excitement. And it's because I know that I'm going to have a ton of adventures with this boy of mine, just as my dad did with me. I tell you, it's a whole new feeling having a son that's approaching the right age. The age when you can start to do stuff together, where you have your own little in-jokes together, and where you can talk about stuff that uh, is exciting for the both of you. How any man could not adore his children is really difficult for me to understand. To misread the opportunity to achieve something so impactful, so important, is disappointing, really. Yet some men are so trapped by their own own problems, present or past, that they miss this opportunity altogether, and everyone suffers as a result. I've been lucky. I've had the benefit of an amazing dad. He didn't cure any diseases and he's not famous. His name doesn't appear on a building anywhere or a freeway overpass. He's never even had a business card. 
But in the last few years, as I've watched my son grow, I've given a lot of thought to how my dad raised me and and why my childhood was so special. My girls, Amy and Sarah, are both wonderful, interesting, bright and beautiful girls. Their mum and I split when they were very young and losing my girls, meaning I couldn't hug them whenever I wanted to, was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. In fact, it still affects me each time I think about it. They were and still are my princesses. But both before and after the split, I created some wonderful memories with them. From as young as two, I took them on weekend excursions at every opportunity. Sometimes we'd head to the mountains where we'd make a small fire and cook marshmallows, and other times we'd venture further afield. We'd talk, we'd muck around, and we'd explore. They'd tell me about their interests, their hopes, and their problems, and I'd listen and share whatever knowledge I thought might help. When they were very young, I took each of them on a separate adventure so I could spend one-on-one time with them, just me and my little girl. My youngest, Sarah, and I took a 2,000-kilometre trip to the desert where Mad Max was filmed, while Amy and I spent a few days in our nation's capital, Canberra. Both experiences were beautiful, and we'll always have those memories. They might struggle to remember those trips because they were both quite young, but I'm sure they're, um, they're buried in their subconscious there somewhere. Nowadays, it's different. Our time together is less about parenting and more about friendship, We'll debate things like beliefs and values, we'll explore entrepreneurial ideas, we'll tackle homework assignments, and of course we discuss boys and booze and peers. It's only now though that I see a common thread through our relationships. I've unwittingly done the same thing that my dad did with me. I've listened, just like my dad did with me. Plenty of dads listen only long enough to say what they want to say. Or they pretend to listen because they think most of what comes out of their kids' mouths is trivial. But here's the thing. On a scale of living 100 years, then yes, whatever your kid is experiencing might well be trivial. But to them, right now, it's everything. And this was one of my dad's superpowers. He never trivialised what was happening in our lives. My dad's other superpower was teaching by showing. A lot of dads tend to bark orders at their kids. They espouse wisdom platitudes mostly, and they use the word should a lot. My dad didn't do much of that. He didn't tell me how to work hard. He showed me. And the same thing with uh, doing the right thing by people and being honest in all his dealings. He also showed me how to drive a car. He started from, well, I think I was eight when I started driving. Uh, And then later he showed me how to control one in difficult terrain. We would go uh, camping sometimes for up to a couple of weeks at a time, and, and I would drive a large portion of those journeys. Um, He showed me how to light a campfire, how to use a high-powered rifle, how to fix things and to make things, and how to do something really scary like put myself forward and offer my services to people. That's ultimately how I got published at the age of 16. That's how I drove and photographed a Lamborghini when I was 18. And it's how I became the youngest motoring magazine photographer in the country. It was all thanks to my dad taking the time to listen, encourage and show me things. Also, he didn't teach me how to treat women. He demonstrated it by the way he treated my mum. He was a protector, a servant, and a soulmate. But I've got to say, he wasn't right about everything. He also told me to stay a virgin until I found the woman that I planned to marry. And it almost worked. My fiancé ended up cheating on me after three years together, so after that, all bets were off. But for the most part, my dad's role as a father was, and still is, a masterclass in effective parenting. 
um, <clears throat> I've put together a bit of a list here of the things I think which were key to my dad doing such a brilliant job of raising us kids, me in particular, because of course I can only think about it from my perspective, but I know that uh, it was very similar with my sister. Number one, and this this is the big one, I think, is he listened attentively, especially when I had an issue that I was trying to explain or a problem that I was trying to solve. Number two, he proved that he'd listened by reflecting back and reaffirming what I'd said. <clears throat> and I think this is thing a thing that a lot of parents forget, is to just show their kids, yes, I am listening to you, you are heard. Number three, he would offer suggestions, often quite enthusiastically, but he didn't preach. If he thought there was a potential solution for a problem, he would offer it as a, as a suggestion and, and explain how it might work. Number four, he often stepped up to help, which was great because it, it validated my issue and it took a lot of the pressure off. He would suggest potential paths forward, which built a mindset in me of everything has a solution. Number five, and this was also a huge one, he chose to spend huge chunks of time with me instead of always chasing money. We lived fairly simply back in those days, but my dad was always around while most dads were chasing accolades or socialising with their mates or climbing the corporate ladder, whatever it was that, you know, drove them. Number six, and I mentioned this before, he led by example. When something was beyond his skill set or his interests, he encouraged me to learn from others and to practice. Number seven, he trusted me to make wise choices, but was quick to step in and give clear direction if I messed up in some way. Number eight, he never undermined my mum's wishes. They made most of the parenting decisions together and they backed each other up. I think this is a big one too. I see a lot of parents playing good cop, bad cop. One parent says no, the other one says, oh, do this, but just don't tell your mother. They always backed each other up. I remember there were a number of times when um, we were trying to persuade my mum to let us do something and she would say, ask your father. And if, if his answer was no... And we came to complain to her, she would say, well, if your father says no, the answer is no. And it worked vice versa, worked in reverse too. Number nine, he praised me when I did a good job. Never in a sort of a gushing fashion like I see so many parents doing, you know, they praise their kids for farting, you know, whatever it is that they do, they they get a blue ribbon for it. He was, uh, he was reserved in his praise, but it was genuine. And that was the thing. He would say something like, you did a really good job there, son. And that meant a lot. Number 10, he was honest and unambiguous. He taught me, and I remember my mum reaffirming this, that let your yes be yes and your no be no and leave it at that. The moment you say things like, I promise or I guarantee you this, well then you lose credibility. And number 11, he was very funny. Some of the things he did just, ugh, I think about it now and, you know, it's, it's such an embarrassment. <laughs> but, you know, I often catch myself doing exactly the same sort of facial expressions and voices that my dad used on me. And I, I get the same reaction from my son. I love it as much for my son's reaction as the way it connects me back to my dad. I love that. Now, as I was writing this article that this uh, podcast session is about, um, I reached out to people in the Midlife Tribe community and I asked this simple question, what do you think makes a good dad? And I've got to say the responses reassured me that I was right to hold my dad in such high esteem. The very first response was from Jared, who simply said, a good listener. That's what makes a good dad. Likewise, Mia Kez offers this. Just being there to listen without judgment and always being good for a hug or a pat on the back. Cherish your dad. 
Mike, who is a regular uh, contributor to Discourse on Midlife Tribe, offered this. He said, Kindness, patience, and show them what love is by being loving. Gently encourage your kids to follow their dreams and passions as long as those dreams and passions are healthy. Instilling them imagination and creativity. Teach them constructiveness, how to play fair. Teach them honesty and integrity. Because without that, there is nothing but chaos and anarchy. Pass on knowledge and listen to your kids. Sometimes they can teach you a few things. I agree with that. Rob said a few things that I think really hit the mark too. He said, If your children are 100% sure they are loved, then you're halfway there. Impart to them a healthy sense of humour and advice that is as objective as you can manage. If your objective is to make them emotionally intelligent, confident, compassionate and able to adapt, then it's clear that you care about their future. And finally, long-time reader and all-round wonderful person Rebecca said, I do think a dad has a huge responsibility to show their children how to treat a woman with love, how to work on teamwork and the ups and downs that happen in all of life. So as someone who's right in the middle of midlife, like I've said before, I'm going to be 50 pretty soon, I see now that being a good dad is the highest calling there is, at least for me. I've experienced it from both sides of the transaction, as a child and as a parent. I understand now that the impact my dad has had on me, and it manifests when I get it right with one of my own kids. Raising kids who know they're loved and valued and who have the support they need to build resilience, self-belief and emotional intelligence is the mark, in my opinion, of a good dad. It's certainly more valuable and enduring than wealth, status or fame. In my mind, it's my dad's greatest achievement, and it's my fervent wish that it will be mine as well. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. If you'd like to read the blog post that goes along with this podcast episode, just go to midlifetribe.com slash 24. You'll see the list there that uh, I've attributed to my dad as the key things that have made him such an amazing dad. Also, if you haven't subscribed to the show, I'd love it if you would. And if you could do me a favor and leave an honest rating and a review on iTunes, then that would be awesome because it helps others to find the show because of the way iTunes algorithms work. And as I've often said, if you haven't got yourself a copy of the free guide called 15 Ideas for Midlife Mastery, just go to midlifetribe.com slash 15 ideas and download a copy of that. It's about 60 pages long, full color, landscape format, so perfect for iPad or laptop. And as the title suggests, it contains 15 different ideas about mastering your time, your money, and your life. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you again in a week's time. Bye-bye.